This episode of the Disney Film Project is sponsored by touringplans.com. Head over to touringplans.com and use their tools to save yourself time and money when you are at Walt Disney World or Disneyland. You can use the Lines application on your mobile phone, use the crowd calendar to figure out which parks to hit which days, or use the touring plans to save time and money waiting in line. Touringplans.com is the sponsor of this episode of the Disney Film Project. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project podcast. This is the program where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, Disney Toon Studios, Disney Channel Original Movies, Walt Disney Productions. We get to it all here on this show and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Ryan Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks I'm about to introduce you to, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, you can find uh, great information about the old shorts, you can find the show notes for this very show, and all kinds of other great stuff if you run over there to DisneyFilmProject.com. Go ahead, we'll wait. All right, welcome back. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Welcome back. And uh, providing the accompaniment for this episode is the one and only Mr. Todd Perlmutter, who has himself been named the uh, Miracle on Ice from time to time. You know, Willy Wonka said it best. We are the music makers. We are the dreamers of dreams. Sorry, I'm just quoting off the list of brookisms. Fair enough. And also joining us, of course, every week we have the one and only Miss Rachel Cole. You can find it justpressplay.net. How are you, Rachel? Um, I am doing well. I'm doing what most people are doing this week in the United States, which is watching old Olympic clips uh, on YouTube and eating massive amounts of uh, of junk food. So that's right. It is. Uh, this is a well timed uh, event. By the time you guys hear this, the Olympics will be over. But we are recording this show in the midst of the Olympics, so it's great uh, for us to be talking about hockey and cold stuff. And, of course, we have with us our wonderful producer, the person who makes all of this go and who's on an editing spree like nobody's business, and that is Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find at about.me slash CherylP3 or at CherylP3 on Twitter. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good, Ryan. I think I found the writers of One Magic Christmas, and they're now working for Hallmark Channel. I saw this weird Hallmark Channel movie today about a guy who gets killed by a golf ball. <laughs> And then yes. has to go save his daughter <laughs> in his in the in the woman he had a, had a relationship with as a guardian angel. <laughs> and then after the whole thing, he has to go back to heaven. That Wait, does what? seem by the same writers. Yes, <laughs> that that's that's not good. You don't want that. No. So I'm, so this is what happens when I'm not when I'm when my editing when I have nothing to do to edit. I watch weird movies on a Hallmark Channel. Yeah, when you get ahead of yourself, right? Yep. All right, uh, we are as we sort of referenced before talking about Miracle, the 2004 Disney film. And as you know, from time to time, we like to bring people in to help us talk about the film. So tonight we have with us Blake Riley. Uh, of the Blake and Sal podcast, the Blake and Sal Show podcast, and uh, on Twitter at Riley21106. How are you, Blake? I'm doing good. Um, I'm a huge fan of you guys, so I'm actually really happy to be here. 
Great. Well, we are happy to have you, sir. Uh, so welcome in, and uh, hope you ha hope you enjoyed the film. And uh, we will we will talk about all the different things that go along with with Miracle tonight on this program or today. I don't know when you people are listening. You could be listening anytime. The one thing I do want to clarify is that we are talking about the hockey film, not the not the not the plane, not the plane. Although that, that was that that was also a Miracle, but different movie, folks. Yes, we are talking about the uh, the 2004 Disney film that uh, refers to the Miracle on Ice of the 1980 Olympics, uh, starring Kurt Russell as Herb Brooks, the coach of the 1980 Olympic team, and Patricia Clarkson as his lovely wife. Uh, not a lot of other actors in this because most of the acting, quote unquote, is done by actual hockey players, which yes. I thought was very interesting. Um, actually, one of the, there was there are uh, some of these actors are very became. I found a lot of actors in this movie. Movie. Well, I mean, main characters. Is what I mean. Yeah, the guys who were on the ice, Cheryl. There's uh, most of them were at, he the uh, director of the film cast uh, people who were hockey players and taught them to act because he didn't think actors learning to play hockey would work so well. Yeah, when I looked over the cast of the uh, the team, uh, the one that was most recognizable to me was Kenneth Mitchell, who I recognized from the short-lived show Jericho. And the interesting thing is that his character actually gets cut from the team right before the Olympics, so he isn't even pivotal to the the final part of the movie. So the movie, it, it's like it's like that old joke that people used to say about Titanic, right? Like, like I don't want to see that because I know the ship sinks at the end. Um, this is one of those that I, I myself had put off viewing because the 1980 Olympic uh, hockey match between the United States and Russia is probably the most famous sports moment of the last century. Um, and and you know, hopefully everybody knows. If you don't, I apologize. And spoiler warning in advance that the United States won that game. It was one of those huge cultural touchstone moments um, in America back in 1980. So you know kind of how the movie ends. You don't know how they get there or you know how they treat it, the storytelling, that sort of thing. Um, but the movie is much more about the journey of how they got to that game uh, more so than you know, the, the result of the game itself. So it's an interesting approach. Um, and, and we can talk about it as we go through it. But I thought it was an interesting subject for a movie of something that, where, where everyone kind of knows how it's going to turn out. Well, I was going to say, Director Gavin O'Connor, um, the other big movie that he's well known for is Warrior, which I don't know if any of you guys have seen it, but it's a similar situation where the trailers actually gave away like the main, like what the movie is all leading up to. But the whole point of it is them getting there and this final fight that's between two brothers that the whole point of it is the emotions that are going on and the road that took them there, not, you know, the actual fight itself or uh, even the outcome of the fight. I know um, for me personally, with this movie, I wasn't born when the, when the miracle happened. I wasn't born when the miracle actually happened, but I'm a diehard hockey fan. So for me, I wanted to see the journey on how we got here. Like, I know the Miracle of Ice. I have a 1980 hockey jersey from Team USA, but I want to do this movie mainly so that I know how they got me. So for me, that's why I love it so much. 
No, that makes perfect sense. And I mean, I have to say, I'm not, a, I'm not, obviously not as big a hockey fan as you are, but it seems like to me that from the the standpoint of getting the hockey right in this movie, they did a, a really great job. Yeah. Oh, they did a tremendous job. I'm I'm not even a big hockey person. I'll just say that up front. I'm not a big sports person. But I went back and watched some of the the um, the games that are featured in the film, and they. Especially the final game is just impeccably choreographed. Yeah, they spent so much effort at it. I mean, there are some uh, plays that they clearly changed. That mm-hmm. a lot of there's a lot of talk about, like the the slashing on the first goal that occurred. I mean, there, there's a slash that, that doesn't occur in the game. That's the whole reason why the Russians scored the first goal. As someone who was alive and did watch the game, by the way, <laughs> 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 um, which is which that's something I wanted to discuss. But we'll come back to that. Um, but you know, um, I grew up in New York, and so after this, Brooks goes on to become the coach for the New York Rangers, and let me tell you, that was like a fantastic decade of Rangers, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was very impressed with the, with the hockey in the game. I have seen the game. I actually got a DVD my wife bought from me on eBay. And I think it's really the second period that you're really different from the game on the actual game. Yeah, well, there's uh, there's stories about some of the things that were said uh, during the um, the uh, breaks in the locker room that uh, probably are not repeatable for the show. Oh, definitely <laughs> but, not, no. But, but Brooks <laughs> was very hard on them in the locker room, and that's why you get that changeover in the play. When you when you read about the boys telling about what went on and stuff like that, which is instantly where the list of Brookisms come from, is the 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 actual hockey players uh, Harrington, Silk, and Aruzioni, and a, and a few others actually contributed to the list of what they call Brookisms, <laughs> which is on Herbert Brooks' Wikipedia page. So, yeah, and a lot of these made it into the script word for word. They did the clean ones. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, a, and a few and a few that that may make it through for a PG. So something about a monkey and a football. PG. So Yeah, I, I think they took really great pains um like we said hiring hockey players uh instead of actors and and doing those sorts of things to make sure that the hockey was accurate and good throughout the entire film. Um and I think that was that was a good choice. I think my my personal opinion, even as somebody who likes hockey, was that it sometimes they got a lot of great hockey and not a lot of great storytelling. Um, and we could talk about that as we go through the film. I think it was it, it's a tough balance to strike in a sports movie, right? Like how much of the sports are you worried about and getting the technicality of it right, and how much are you worried about telling your story? Yeah, you have to have players play. That's the bottom line in a sports movie. Yep. Well, this that's actually what I like about this movie versus other sports movies like and, – and I enjoy movies like Remember the Titans and, you know, very sentimental sports movies that are very story-heavy. But on occasion, it's nice to have a movie like this that's very much centered on the sport being the central focus of it and not being, you know, the personal dramas of the players, which I think is why the actors, you know, besides the fact that they're mostly no-name actors – I. I think they really tried to make them just a homogenous team yes. as opposed to individual people. So so it was a nice change of pace for me, having seen a lot of that other type of sports movie. Yeah. 
the one thing that I wanted to say is I really don't think they play the home aspect well enough. And you mean his wife? Yes, the, like, okay. the wife, the family. Um, I don't think they, they played that well. And that's the one thing I didn't like about the movie. No, I, I, I tend to agree with you. I mean, like, they, they kind of tried to make an effort to show that this was taking a toll on his family life, but it was it was almost like a token effort. Like, you know, oh, yeah, this is a problem, but it never became any... It, it wasn't really a, a story, just sort of a, an aside kind of in yeah. the movie. It yeah. wasn't like where other movies where they've set, where they've actually shown the person, like, pack their bags and leave. Right, right. And maybe they should have done that. I don't know if that, I guess, maybe that didn't happen in real life, whatever. Um, but I really think that it was, that took the expense at the at the risk of the sport. Yeah. I One thing I was reading um, about the acting is that Kurt Russell took a, a lot, if not the whole entire team, under his wing in terms of acting by teaching, by, he he took on Herb Brooks' role completely, so that thing about her, her Brooks remained distant from the team. As an actor, he brought that onto the team that they should separate out, and he always referred to them by their team by their uh, role names rather than their actual names, so that they all stayed in character throughout the production. So I, 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 he really enforced that on the on the player as as they were learning to act for the ones who weren't already somewhat actors, because some of them they all come from playing hockey, but. Some of them were actually, like Rachel said, actors to begin with. Um, and Russell had this great quote about the movie, by the way, that I, I just love because it really sums up a lot of what we've been saying. Is He said, this film is a lot about understanding that even though it's called The Miracle on Ice, in fact, a lot of hard work went into The Miracle. Yes. Yes. No. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. No, and I think that's exactly what the movie is, is, is showing that. You know what I mean? Because... Um, I mean, we, we can we can jump into the, the the plot of the movie a little bit, but there, you know, like we've kind of like Rachel kind of talked about earlier, like there's not a ton of like emotional journey in the in the movie. It's more about what was the hard work that went into creating this. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was thinking, I was actually thinking, my whole thing was, uh, I was actually going to add something to the personal thing with her. My whole thing um, with playing her personal life was I thought like the scenes with him and his wife were probably pretty realistic for what the what they were trying for. I don't know, that's my opinion. Because I've actually kind of I think anyone that can relate, you kind of have those arguments in reality. So I kind of understood that those scenes. Maybe that's just me. Yeah, I, I, no, see, I see what you mean, yeah. That, I mean, people have these fights and they have these disagreements, but it isn't always, you know, a thing of, I'm going to pack my bags and leave. It's just, you know, a bump in the road along the way, so. I'm going to say, I've yeah. seen it better done in other movies. That's that's my, again, my personal opinion. No, I agree, I agree with you. I've seen it done I, better I, I agree with you. in other sports movies. Yeah, the, the wife doesn't have much of a role, I think, is the key factor. No, no, she and really does These are the children. Yeah. yeah, because because for, for, yeah. in the background in every scene they're in. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, honestly, the central focus of the whole movie is hockey. It's it's on the sport. It's on you know the team. It's yes. you know everything else takes you know second you know third priority to it. And so. I'm I'm saying in my case, I think that was a mistake. 
Yeah, I, I actually, I'm on your side on that one, Cheryl, but we'll talk about it as we go, go through the movie. Although it kind of makes sense because Herb Brooks is, is famous for being like the one true man of hockey in the last century as well. I mean, he's really, everybody pretty much reveres him. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, so let's let's talk about the plot of the film, and we'll talk about some of the choices that uh, that Gavin O'Connor, the director, made as he goes through it. But um, the opening of the film is is an opening where it's basically Herb Brooks' interview for the job as coach of the Olympic team, and he's meeting with the United States Olympic Committee uh, and talking about you know his philosophy on how they could beat the Russians. Now, it's, it's great to actually see, and I can see this actually happening, in that meeting, they're like, well, you're not going to beat the Russians, but what, what are you going to do? You know, and he talks about having the players work together as a team and you know, conditioning and those sorts of things and doing different practices and different schedules than, than anybody has done in, in the past several years as they've been trying to beat the Russians. Yeah. Um, he, he talks about incorporating things that just weren't in American hockey at the time, which was, which was true to life. That's what he did. So yes. Yeah, that's right. But I, that line he says about, you can't get much more embarrassing than the last Olympics was. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it was true is what it was. Yeah. It, it hit home. By, by the way, before that, I just want to say, I love that historical montage. We don't have to really go through it, but yes. it, it was really good. Cause everything that, um, it, it put, the right the right place for the time period like it really set the background of the world they were in by showing you how far they came through all the through the decade of the 70s you know and like i said as someone who you know lived in that time period it was you know you, the things that your parents go through and i remember looking back on and realizing that like, no matter how bad things get i can't believe my parents ever had it that bad you know right it's uh it, it's it. The idea is that the country needed something to rally behind, and that's really what happened. So. Well, there's a there's a point in the movie where you could literally pause it and start the movie Argo, and then just come back to this. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so yeah, the, it, you're right. The, there is an opening, the, the opening montage that kind of sets the scene of, of you know where we are in the in the 80s, and I, I'm you know we kind of skipped ahead to the tryouts, but it's it is something that is worth noting is that you know uh, if for people who weren't around, um, you know I was very very young, and Todd, you were around and watching this, but you know this was a a time period you know in Jimmy Carter's presidency, and then the late 70s heading into 1980 that was you know a very turbulent time, and you know we had you know the the long gas lines that show up later in the in the film. Uh, all those sorts of things are very true to life. It, it's and the montage is intended to get that point across. Um, I think it, it, I'm curious to for the folks who who weren't around for that. Um, like for me, it worked okay because I knew a lot of that stuff, but I didn't know like like Cheryl or Blake or Rachel. You know, what did you guys think of that setting the scene for for you know kind of what the stakes were for this for this match? For me, it actually kind of brought me right into that world because I, my mom always told me how that life, how everything was back then. But again, I don't, I don't know. That kind of brought me into the world we were setting in, which is pretty much the whole point of the opening. Kind of brought me there, which I liked it. I thought it was well done, and the score on it was fantastic. So. Yeah, I I thought the the opening sequence was excellent. Um, 
you know, like obviously I was born long after, after this, you know, after this game, after, you know, all of these things happened and it, it really put me in a great mindset for the rest of the movie. I want to kind of kind it to um, Golden Dream, Ryan, from the, um, from, the, from the American Pavilion. Yeah. I mean, although I'm alive for some, I was alive for some of it, I, I wasn't, you know, as a kid for, I mean, I was, I don't know what idea why it was in the 80s, I'd have to look up how old I was. But I think I was about a teenager, so I probably didn't know much about anything back then. Um, but I would akin this to could something like go to that movie because it's something you can show that's really short and get people in touch with it. And I think also that Disney showed showed us more. I would like to see Disney put this in. I don't know how would they explain the Hall Presence. I don't know somewhere. This little montage. Right. It, it's a great quick montage that fills you in on a period of time that that you might not know about. I mean, other than, other than Billy Joel's, we can start a fire. That's the only thing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> no, I was just curious about that because, you know, for, for me personally, like I said, I was, I was young, young, young. I think I, I, I want to say three or four when the actual game took place. But, um, you know, the montage for me kind of established it a little bit. But what what was better for me was the little touches throughout the film of like the long gas lines or the talk about the Carter boycott of the Olympics. Like those are things that I actually remember even from, you know, from when I was that young. And I thought those touches were really nice throughout the movie. But, you know, moving on, the, 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 so they have the – Herb does get the job, um, apparently at a costume party that his wife is throwing. I, I wasn't sure why we had that detail. I don't quite understand the costume party either, especially in the time period that it's set. It's not even like it's Halloween or anything. It's like the middle of summer. So it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Yeah, I, my only thought was because uh, Brooks was consulting on the movie is maybe he just said it was what happened, and so they threw it in as a scene. Yeah, that's the only thing. It, it, it's one of those things that's like it's so weird it has to be true. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but he does get the job, and then they go and have the tryouts in Colorado Springs, uh, and he selects a roster of 26, uh, and eventually we'll have to cut that down to 20 but the big push is you know the the head of the the usoc uh i, I never did catch his last name oh walter i know is his first name but I yeah I, all i know is all i knew is walter too I, I we could look it up but it's he calls him walter all movie anyway so yeah um you know well the the committee has always in the past helped pick the team like they've always picked who's who's going to make the team in conjunction with the coach that sort of a thing and and herb just he just picked the team and told everybody they were on the team and, you know, was out the door in, getting into his car before Walter could even come over with his picks. I thought yeah. that was pretty great. Now, if you look at the actual roster for the team that he picks, right, it's most, mostly except for three or four guys. It's a um, team of people from Boston and Minnesota. Okay, yes. and, that's, and honestly, that's because as he was the coach for the Minnesota Golden Gophers, okay, who are from the University of Minnesota, and at that time period, and even till today, I think I'm pretty sure the rivalry still exists. Is they have a huge rivalry with the Boston University Terriers. Yes. Okay. They do. Mm-hmm. That is that is legend a legendary rivalry, probably a bigger rivalry than any rivalry in professional sports. 
<laughs> in, in a lot of cases because these kids really beat on each other if you ever go to a game where they play. Yes, they do. <laughs> yes, they do. They play and they play often in the uh, the NCAA hockey tournament. So yeah. Uh, and that, and that's honestly a point in the film uh, that comes up later, like, you know, after the team selected is the, the players uh, get in a fight specifically because of that fact, right? That one of the guys um, cheap shot at another and cost him an NCAA championship. And that's one yeah. of the, the big things that happens in the film. And and from what you if you read about the team, uh, it was one of that rivalry between Minnesota and Boston was a huge thing uh, as they initially started practice if you read any of the the books or articles or things about the team and and how they got to where they were like that rivalry was one of the hardest things they had to overcome yeah they kind of throw it out really quickly in the movie though i kind of felt for what it was like i'm feeling in in real life it probably pervade a lot more yeah you're probably right but they kind of gloss over it a lot because it's just that one resolution moment and boom done it never comes up again well, I think well, they they keep kind of hinting back to it with how he keeps asking them, "What team do you play for?" I mean, yeah. that's that's a recurring thing throughout the movie, and it's not until um, that the the scene after the uh, the game when he's making them uh, practice after the game that like finally one practice. of them says, that was not practice yeah. that wasn't practice <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I, whatever you want to call what that was. As but, someone who's played ice hockey, uh, those those oh, are those, they're called Herbies, and they're the worst thing in the world. They're yeah. named after him, so and they yeah. are the worst. The line the line runs. Ugh. But the fact that it takes that long for them to, to for someone to finally say that they're that they skate for the United States of America. So. Yeah, it was uh, that was rough. But uh, I think I think they gloss over honestly. They gloss over a lot of things because, like, if you again, if you if you read about the team or any of those sorts of things, there's lots of little things that are interesting and stuff that could could form, um, you know, uh, stories or things like that. But I like kind of like what Rachel was saying earlier. I feel like they decided to make the team sort of a a nameless, faceless group because honestly, I that was my biggest complaint in the first half of the film is like I didn't know one hockey player from another. Um, yeah. yeah, it didn't really matter per se, but I it was it, it was definitely not set out for us to know that difference until we got later in the movie. Yeah, I don't know if Cheryl remembers, but when we were watching it last night. It was uh, it was a lot of times I was asking her, "Who's that? Who's that? I want to write his name down. I don't know who he is." That's but finally, like I have things like the the two players who are fighting are OC and McClanahan. Yeah, OC is from uh, Boston, and McClanahan's the guy the. Like, the guy who it's very clearly from Brooks's team, and then so. we also had the Coneheads as well. That were <laughs> yeah, he he, right. he 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 nicknames them later on. Um, funny thing that the actor who played OC, um, he I I was looking for his name because again, like I can't remember who they who's who. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jack, uh, it's Michael Manatuto. Man, I'm close enough. Uh, he actually got the role of OC because during the tryouts, because they were actually hockey players, he actually got in a fight with another player, and that was yeah, why he I got read that role. Mm. Yeah. Well, that would make sense. <laughs> yeah. Hockey players fight. It's a thing. It's yes. it's it's hockey. That's what hockey. That's what you do, right? 
Yeah, they, um, give, they give him wooden clubs and skin her on an ice. What's going to happen? Right, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's the the practice bit is is sort of the next thing. Like when they when they first start practicing, it's uh, McClanahan and O'Callahan, um, good Irish boys, I guess, uh, getting get into that fight, and they're told you know that they have to they have to quit that. And that's when that, that recurring thing starts happening of, he asks, you know, who are you and who do you play for? And they, they list their name and then, and the school that they've been playing at. So Minnesota or, or Boston, or uh, I think one of the guys goes to Wisconsin. Um, and they start listing that out. Um, and that's, you know, like you said, that's, that's something that, that comes up throughout the rest of the film. And I feel like the next bit after that initial practice it's like training montages times three is what I remember from, from what I wrote down. It's like training montage, brief break for a little family conversation or a conversation between one of the coaches and Herb, another training montage. It's, I, I, it, it dragged a little for me because I was like, I know what they're getting at and they're trying to show the hard work, but you know, I, I need to care a little bit more about the character. Yeah, there's, there's a few key conversations along the way like interspersed like he has the conversation with the uh the kid jack whose mom died yes right his mom's mm-hmm. his whole reason for playing and he's the one who doesn't take the test herb was actually talking to jimmy craig the goaltender and i was gonna know he didn't take the test because he didn't think that the test had anything to do with playing goalie um and his mom actually died and one of her last wishes was for him to play on this team and that's actually all a true story so his dad pretty much said, go play for this team, and that's why he was here. Yeah. Well, that's something he wanted, was he wanted people who were dedicated to the game and had, you know, and were focused and had some amount of heart, was basically what it seemed like he was looking for for most of the movie. Yes. I don't know how I don't know how real that was to the real life picking of the players, but that was definitely something he had throughout, as he wanted people who, you know, would persevere. For sure, yeah, and I think that was kind of the whole point of what he was trying to get across is, you know, that he he needed people who were, who could persevere, who could get things done, and uh, who wanted to play together as a team. I have to say though that like throughout all the training montages and things, um, you know, he he you felt some sympathy for him, and I think that's why his wife is in the movie. Um, and why we find out in this sequence, you know, in this sequence of training montages before we get to um, the big sort of uh, Herbie's moment that we talked about earlier, we find out that he was on the Olympic team back in the 60s and got, you know, got lifted before the, the actual games began. So he wasn't able to play on those on that team. Yeah, Um I think that's all to engender sympathy for him because otherwise he's not a very sympathetic character because he's right out, out mean to these guys. Yeah, it's hard to see his motivation without this particular moment. Um, I wanted to talk about the picture. Yes. All right. So I looked. I found the actual picture. Okay, because Cheryl uh, said had me pause because we and we went back and forth over the picture a few times because it didn't. It it you could tell they were trying to make it look like Kurt Russell, but it didn't look anything like Kurt Russell. Right. Okay. And uh, so I found the actual picture, and you could tell what Brooks actually looked like. And yeah, it's definitely like way doctored. Like whoever did it put too big a head on the body, and that's why it just doesn't look at all right. 
<laughs> and I'll I'll include that in the show notes. Also, they um it, it so it's you know it's a good stock picture, but the typing underneath is different. But Cheryl and I were both pretty sure it was the exact same picture because the guy next to him is in the same position and everything like that. So. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Also, it's important to note that, by the way, Brooks also went on to play on a uh, winning Olympic team in 1968, right? I, th- I think he was on the 64 team, and then he won in 68. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. 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 So mm-hmm. he, he, got, uh, he got kicked off that year, but he was back on, so, you know. Right. But that team did not, did not win the Olympic title, right? Because they got beat by the Russians, didn't they? Um, probably in the in the sixty four one and sixty four and sixty eight he did, but I think like they got trounced completely in sixty four, but came back in sixty eight. That was kind of what I was getting at. Gotcha. Um, nineteen sixty they won the gold medal. Nineteen sixty four, sixty eight they lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's the whole point. Yeah, I think that's the whole point is, right, in 1960, he had a chance, and then he wasn't on the team, and they won. And then, you know, the, the next two years, he, he was unable to to win a gold medal. So, but, yeah, that I think that's what it is, is it engenders the sympathy for him there from that moment. And, and from that point forward, you kind of see what he's getting at. Um, you know, he he starts them on this this conditioning drill, the 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 back and forth. So, uh, do you want to explain the what what the Herbies is, uh, Todd? Because it's it's awful. Yeah. yeah. So I I don't want to like get too much into the rules of hockey because that's part of that's not part of the movie. It's the rules of hockey. Right. <laughs> Just to be clear, there's not a lot of rule going over. But uh, there's there's lines on the ice, right? You have red lines, blue lines. You know. And and they mean various things for like various rules in the game. Certain things happen, um, but what he does is he has them start at the goal line, and they skate to the first line and then back to the goal line. Then they skate to the next line and then back to the goal line, and they do this through the through the five lines on the ice until they get to the last one, and then they can leisurely come back on the last one. And that's and then they just repeat. You usually repeat it like ten times is what I remember doing from practice. Yeah. And like people who've played uh, basketball, like on a college or high school team, that's it's you do something similar with basketball. Um, I haven't I've seen a few times people do it with football, so it's a, it's something that people I think actually took from him uh, and started doing. But the the idea is the conditioning uh, is what he's trying to get across is you know getting these guys to be well conditioned so that they could hang with the Russians. Who this is that's all the Russians do is 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 play hockey. Um, so he's trying to get them to be able to, you know, have enough breath at the end of the game to skate with the Russians. Um, so that, that's what he's trying to accomplish. Um, and, and we have a few different things that they, they, they go through there, um, leading up to a game, an exhibition game that they play against the Norwegian team in Oslo, Norway. Yeah. So the game itself is sort of secondary to what happens after the game. Uh, the game ends up in a 3-3 tie, but during the game, all the guys are, like, pointing at blonde girls and the Norwegian girls in the stands and, like, saying, oh, look at that one. She's really cute and all this kind of stuff. Um, well, more, more importantly, they're not paying attention to the game. Yes. Yes. And so he hears this. Her, um, Kurt Russell's character, Herb Brooks, hears this throughout uh, the game and he's very upset at the end of the game because he heard this and he has them do these herbies basically 
for what feels like in the film hours. And I think I looked at the time of it and it like the scene itself is almost 10 minutes long between the, the, the game and, and the, the actual running back and forth. Um, I have a note about this scene, how they filmed it. Yes. It, it was done by the actors over a span of three days and they did this for 12 hours a day. That's worse than the actual scene itself, than what yeah. happened in the movie. <laughs> because That's the director terrible. specifically wanted realism. He wanted them to look completely dead on their feet. Well, he got that. <laughs> yeah. There's actually a picture of the original event in the um, book, The Boys of Winter, which I think is a great picture, because it actually shows after the lights went off. And um, the only real picture that's really from that period, I don't know who took it, but it's in the book, and it's an awesome picture to look at when it comes to this moment. Yeah, I was just saying, that um, that book is actually on sale on Kindle right now, if anybody wants to go uh, go pick it up. It is it is a a good look at the team and and what happens from there. So uh, go check that out if you want to uh, learn more about this story. Which I think you know I I would assume after watching the movie, people would le- would definitely like to to learn more about it if you if you go check this out. Um, but he has them running back and forth, just trying to teach them the lesson uh, of some kind. And, and frankly, like I don't even know what he's trying to teach them until finally, um, at the very end of the night, like the the ring, the rink manager has turned the lights off on them, and he's still got them going. And he's, I mean, like, and Herb's like, oh well, tell him I'll lock up. I'm, and uh, part of me inside goes, you're in Norway. I don't think that's the way they operate in Norway. <laughs> Which is why the dude turns out the lights on him, right? Yeah. Yeah. But by the way, um, in, in real life, um, I read that it didn't actually end the way it does in the movie. That one of the players actually it ended when one of the players actually got so mad he shattered his stick on the uh, glass and shattered the glass. I can so they're, that. Se- so they're essentially forced off the ice because of that. So. I can believe that. Yep. Uh, but what, the way it ends here is Mike Ruzioni actually responds, you know, Mike Ruzioni, um, and I forget where he's actually from, and then I play for the United States of America. And that's what he's been trying to get across to them, which is, you know, uh, that this is the, you know, this is a team that plays for the United States of America. It's not, you don't play for. Uh, you know, individual universities or, or whatever. It is, you know, you're playing for the U.S. of A. Yeah. Yeah, also well, this is why Aruziani is uh, coach. Not coach. Captain, sorry, team captain. Yes, that's right. I also think he was trying to get across, um, like a lot of coaches will do this where it's like they basically want to give the team a common enemy <laughs> so that they kind of band together in a way, especially, you know, players that come from like schools that are, you know, such strong rivals. It's a very effective way to do that. Yeah, well, the, they have early in the movie, the characters Craig and Doc have a conversation where Doc makes that same point. Yes. Yeah. So and and that's actually a salient moment in the movie. So, yeah, I, I I'll be honest. Like for me, it was it was still tough to like Herb throughout the whole movie. Like this right here, this part of the movie, I I thought he was awful, 
and I get what he was going for, and I've like you know, like Rachel said, I've seen the sports movies before and the cliches, and this definitely was not that. Like it took that. It's it's almost like that Andy Kaufman style of comedy where they take it you you take it to the point where you're uncomfortable and then you keep going like that's what they did in this scene. But oh it just, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just felt weird a little bit. I guess um, for me, I guess for me, the whole scene works only because of as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, the Brookisms during the scene. I have a bunch of them written down if you. So my name to read a couple of these off. Go sure, ahead. go for it. Okay. Uh, you think you can win on talent alone? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. When you put on that jersey, you represent yourself and your teammates, and the name on the front is a a lot more, more important than the one on the back. Win, lose, or tie, you're going to play like champions. If you want to make this team, you better start playing at a level that's going to force me to keep you here. And one of my personal favorites, this cannot be a team of common men, because common men go nowhere. You have to be uncommon. That's actually a quote that was up in our football locker room by my coach, so that's why I love that one so much. (laughs) I think the other reason why the scene works so well is also because of Noah Emmerich's performance as the assistant coach. Just because of the faces that he's making at Kurt Russell through this whole sequence every time Kurt tells him to, to blow the whistle again? Yes. Yeah, he's feeling your pain. <laughs> yeah, my, my pain was, was uh, a little more than his, I think, although he was actually there. But yeah, it was. It, it's rough. It's hard to watch, honestly. Um, but I think the way that that works kind of is, is set up or is intended to earn the, the hockey sequences later in the, in the Soviet game, because that is the, you know, the crux of the film. And I think you have to have this in order to make that work. This is, I mean, honestly, this is the pivotal moment in the whole film. For those of us not being sports fans, which I am one of them, because I'm really not much of a hockey fan, not really much of a sports fan. I mean, I follow who wins what because of where I live, but I don't really follow sports that much. I don't really watch a game. I don't really sit down and watch a game. In fact, if a game was on, I would probably leave the room. <laughs> um, I I want a kind of akin to where Coach Carter, if the movie from Coach Carter, where he padlocks the door and makes the kids study for the test and makes everyone pay, pass a test. Gotcha. Yeah. I haven't seen. I haven't seen it, but oh, it's a really good movie. You should see Coach Carter. I will put it on the list. <laughs> not that the, no, that's not a Disney movie, so we can't put it on our list. But I would recommend it to people. It's a good movie to to watch. Please, both with kids and sports. So cool. Yeah. No, that's that's good. To know. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, like, and again, like, the next part of the film is. Um, it's more of of this sort of not this sort of thing, but you know, it's more of the the team bonding type stuff. Like we have, we show them later at a a Christmas party, um, and and you see that you know Herb makes another call home after after that, and he's you know eating room service by himself, and you, it it's it's little snippets of the team getting closer to him and him you know kind of talking to his wife, but there's no. Um, 
I don't, I, it's it's a different kind of storytelling, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. It's not you know, hey, this happened, then this happened, so this happened sort of a thing. It's not, you know, set up and follow through. It's more, you know, we're just going to kind of drop in on a moment here and a moment there that we think would be interesting. Pretty typical of a biopic, which this sort of is, but um, I thought interesting choice by uh, by the director to, to make it flow that way. Can we comment on the Christmas gifts? Please. Yes. <laughs> the plastic whistle. And the Indiana Jones whip. <laughs> yeah. I would say the perfect gift for both of them, so. <laughs> well, he keeps telling him to get the whistle, too, so that's what's, what's even funnier. And then he takes that whistle away from him. <laughs> yep. Um, there's a scene that happens before that where he where he's playing... One of the earlier scenes, right, he's in the locker room talking to them about how the Russians play and showing them films of the Russians playing, right? And he's talking and he's naming them off so they, they get used to who they're going to be playing against. But also that's where he has the discussion and he says nobody's played their game before and that's what we're going to do. We're going to play the game they play and it's going to throw them off because we're not going to be defensive. We're going to be offensive just like they are, okay? And he goes through that whole rigmarole with them. But then he, he talks a lot about psychology during that scene, and then later on he brings this other kid in who was somebody who was cut out of the original 26. Yes. Right? Uh, cut, cut from when they brought one other – and he brings him back, and I, I think – I wrote down his name was Timmy. I don't know who his, what, what his last name was. But the other kids get clearly upset by this, and what they do is they stand up to him. Which is what he wants I, – I just felt like he was playing a psychological game with him, and this is the outcome that he wanted. Yeah. Okay, yeah. is he, he wanted them to to admit that what they had become was a family because that's what he was looking for with was people who would look out for each other on and off the ice. Yeah, that it didn't oh, matter good. what you were doing elsewhere. It mattered what you were doing there with that team on, on the ice with them. In real life, they actually, it's in Boys of Winter and also in the HBO documentary that I actually watched a couple of days ago. Again, um, they actually brought in more than just one player. There was like at least eight or nine players run in to really get the point across that you can still be cut from this team even though we're two weeks in the Olympics. And that's when they actually stand up and confronted her about it. Okay. Wow. That's yeah. pretty crazy. But yeah, I think the whole thing, and that's why, like for me, you know, I, I, you know, I've seen Remember the Titans, like you guys were saying earlier, and some of the other movies where where the coach is mean to the team, but he kind of earns back their trust. I didn't feel like in this they did enough to show me that Herb was kind of earning their trust back and and becoming part you know that they liked him as much it's definitely more along the lines of what uh what doc and and uh the other coach was saying of you know they're they're all going to hate him therefore they don't hate each other sort of a thing i think that's that's really what he ended up doing pretty much the entire film uh because like right when you start to like him he does something horribly mean again <laughs> yeah well not i think it there's a point where that stops and i do think the christmas scene is pretty much where that stops in the movie him doing the horrible things Except oh i don't i the, don't agree with that i forgot the one locker room scene i thought it happened earlier but you're right it does happen after that so oh and then and then when he when he tells craig that he's gonna bench him um later on after the uh madison square garden game oh that happens before 
Oh, no, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, no, you're right. New York City is after the Christmas stuff. You're right. Yeah. Um, also, on the way home, again, to help set the mood, they do Carter's crisis and confidence speech on the radio. They, yeah. He, he's during, listening during to a replay of it. Yeah. 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 Which is it, which is important. I mean, like it, it that for me, like I said, was was part of what set the tone really well for what we were looking at in the time frame, and you know, the the references to Watergate and the public confidence and all that kind of stuff that that Carter put in that speech, juxtaposed with these guys coming together um, and you know, like having a snowball fight. I thought that was really well done, um, kind of showing what these guys could potentially be, and would eventually become. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the the next big thing that happens in the film is uh, you know they they do go to Madison Square Garden. So Herbert set up a an exhibition in Madison Square Garden. So earlier the Soviets had defeated the NHL All Stars, uh, and so they set up an exhibition game in Madison Square Garden against the Soviets, just sort of a tune up for the Olympics. Um, and the Soviets crush them ten to three. Uh, O'Callaghan gets an injury, basically strains a ligament in his knee, but they don't know how bad it, bad it is, and he could be out the entire Olympics. And then, like, after the game, Herb talks to Jim Craig, the goaltender, and says, well, I'm going to bench you, you know, for the Olympics and put in the backup. Uh, and this is the same guy that we talked about earlier who didn't take the test. And there's this whole, you know, argument back and forth where Herb was just awful to this guy. And I felt bad for him because again this is the guy whose whose mother passed away and you know he's been doing everything that he's been asked to do but herb says he's not giving a hundred percent yeah he tells him he's holding back yeah yeah um i i did want to add the the new york the shots of new york on the way in uh this was in the paper in 2003 when the movie was about to come out in 2004 and um it's that uh the twin towers are digitally added into the footage of new york city yeah, it's like one point. of the first. Yeah. It's one of the first movies to do that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I was going to say something about the gardening as well. Um, again, back to Boys of Winter. There's a theory that that the game, because her plan this game actually, it was meant to be a mind game with Soviets, so that the Soviets get a dominant win over the U.S. And then, in their mind, the U.S. is leading team, so if they played it in the Olympics they would not be 100% mentally there because they're like, oh, this is a cakewalk. And that's the theory coming out of the Soviet camp on why this game happened. Yeah. That's what the, the Soviet coach actually said that in interviews, you know, years years after because I think he had to go into exile and hiding uh, after he <laughs> lost. But Yeah. <laughs> But but years later, he said like his he felt that his team underestimated the Americans because of the Madison Square Garden game. Uh, so so that takes us up basically to the start of the Olympics. So the it's it's the movie is two hours and what fifteen minutes long, I think, all told. Yeah. Uh, and and getting to the start of the Olympics takes about an hour and 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 twenty minutes. So you basically have an hour for the Olympics themselves. Uh, and it it comes the first thing that happens is of course the team gets off the bus and and Herb has to make the the call on O'Callahan, like, is he going to be on the roster or not? Because he's injured and there's no way he could play until they get to the medal round. And you have to understand, like, it, it's it's hard to understand, like, how unlikely them even getting to the medal round was 
in this, in these days. Like it's hard to understand now. Cause like if you're watching the Olympic hockey team and you know, it's full of NHL players and they're playing, you know, they're beating the Russians or the Czechs or whomever, like American hockey was so far down the list in 1980 that no one expected them to finish fourth, let alone in the top three. So the yeah. fact that he then would be willing to risk it and let O'Callaghan come in for the medal round only and keep him on the roster, uh, that was a big risk. Yeah. I, I, yeah. No argument. Yeah, it, it, and and that's one of those things that doesn't get as as much publicity about you know this this whole story um, is is sort of the moves that he made when they got to the Olympics um, that that made that kind of made the team uh, a little different. Um, I also I also wanted to say the scene where they first show that he's his knees busted. Well, I mean, not busted, but you know that he's been injured when he's uh, in the back with the like an ice pack on his knee and all that. Um, that scene was so emotional for me, just entirely by itself. And there's so little dialogue in that, and none of, and all of it is very, you know, it's very basic dialogue. It doesn't have any like any sort of melodrama really inserted into it. And I love how they play that out because it is heartbreaking. Because I mean, you've seen what this team has gone through and what this kid has gone through to get to this point, and. That that scene just sold the whole movie for me. I, I loved it. So, so yeah, the the first game of the the Olympics is uh, they they play against Sweden, uh, and it and they're trailing two one in the game. And uh, Herb takes them in, and this is the moment that Todd was referring to earlier, where he overturns a table and yells at them. Um, McClanahan is is injured, one of the players, and Doc says, "Well, the injury is not going to get worse if he plays on it, but he can't play for the rest of the game." And so, Doc, uh, you know, Herb basically says, "Well, you know, just get your get your gear on and play, and you know, you guys are worthless." Um, he he's awful to them. At least this one, I I could sort of understand. Because he's, you know, he's he's trying to fire them up a little bit and get them to come back. Because if, the thing is, if they don't win this game against Sweden, they're they're less likely to win against Czechoslovakia, the game that that followed. So the the thought process was at this time, there's no way that they did uh, that they were going to be able to to make things happen uh, if they didn't win this game or at least tie the game. Um. During the actual game, and then in there happened in the uh, documentary, the documentary. Um, Rob had explained that he was really, really um, passionate about that, and Rob never apologized to him. And Rob told that, and they never talked about it. And it's one of his only regrets is not talking to him about before he passed away. And it still bothers him to this day. So. It works, right? They end up uh, being able to score in the final minute uh, to tie the game 2-2. And then we sort of, again, go back to a a montage sort of uh, flow here where we sort of montage through the the win over Czechoslovakia. They win 7-3, and you see that the team is getting more famous. Um, Herb is being asked questions in press conferences, and he refuses to let the the players talk to the media. Uh, and this is something that was true. They didn't. They did not do that. Um, and and frankly, a lot of the players, 
you know, to this day still haven't talked to, to many media members. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that where he kept saying, no, you know, we're going to do this as a team. And they would then, uh, there's this fun moment where after one of the games, he, you know, he gets asked, well, are you doing this to keep all the focus on you? And so the next time they show up, he basically doesn't show up and he sends the assistant coach instead, uh, just to kind of stick it to the reporters. Yeah. Yeah. What, one interesting thing that they actually put into the movie during one of the games is that uh, when they're playing the West German team, it actually says GDR up there, which is which was East Germany. But that actually happened in real life. So they, they actually made it, you know, kept it on the scoreboard and everything the wrong way. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It's like when they do stuff like that in a movie, you know, when they keep it chronologically accurate for the small yeah. things. Oh yeah, always cool when they have when they're accurate. But yeah, so it, it ends up you know building to the actual the Soviet game, um, and the last thirty five minutes I think it is of the film is is that game um, and and the sort of the build up to the game and then the fallout of the game. Um, so like we were saying earlier, it is crazy accurate uh to the game itself um I'm, I'm like you guys i didn't see i did not see it live which uh we could talk about i don't think most people did not see it live actually um because abc tape delayed the game well yeah that's true nobody saw it live i mean live in terms of watching it when it was shown on television correct yes yeah. although most people in the country who watched it do believe they actually watched it live which i guess that's a, this is a good point to talk about uh, just really quickly about NBC's silliness with that. Yes. Okay. Is, uh, I don't know about the rest of you, but I just kind of sort of feel like I get NBC just wants to own all the money for it, and the Olympic Committee is wrong for doing this, in my opinion. Is selling it to NBC is we should just be able to watch it whatever wherever we want. Now, there's a lot of people in this country, though, doing VPNs into other countries, like the BBC, to watch whenever they want, which is really smart. So... Yes, yeah. and and not to mention the fact that NBC cuts a lot of stuff, like weird stuff too. I mean, like from the opening ceremonies and uh, um, just and and we'll often cut things for political reasons too, which is frustrating. So, yeah. At least they didn't cut the the star thing, which which Russia asked us not to not to not to air. <laughs> I thought they had a lot of huts by doing that. There we go. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with you there. Uh, but so the the game itself um, unfolds just just like the 1980 game. Herb gives the speech in the locker room about to the kids about the fact that you know, hey, this is your moment. You you've earned this opportunity um, to to go out and win this game. And he even makes the point that you know, if we played these guys ten times, they'd probably win nine of them. But uh, that doesn't mean that one that one has that can't be tonight. Basically, is what he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the game unfolds, you know, just just like the 1980 game did, which is the Soviets go up early, um, one to nothing. Um, the the Americans tie it one one. Then the Soviets go up two to one, and the Americans pull the goalie right before the end of the first period, and it's two uh, two, just with one second left in the period. The clock actually did show zero. That's another con- like this game has a lot of not 
I, yeah. I don't know if you'd say controversy, but like there's famous things that happened yeah. in it where people debate stuff. Literally, the game paused for a good five to seven minutes in real life at that point, by the way, before they before either team even went into the locker room. Because that, that decision that the ref makes where the ref says it stands, it, it happens in like five seconds in the movie. It was literally like in real life, like everybody was just waiting for something. And you couldn't like, you know, even though we were watching on TV time delayed, you couldn't fast forward the television back then. Right. So you were stuck watching it in, in semi real time there in, in term, you know, from start to finish. And it's, it was a long period of time in real life. Um, by the way, I wanted to point out, I have a note in here for Cheryl that I was supposed to bring up. Yes. Did, did Cheryl, do you remember what the note is? I know what the note is. That's right. <laughs> I just wanted to remind my wife that the flying V had not yet been invented. Chronologically speaking. That's all. Fair enough, sir. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, no, it's it, it, and so the the period ends. So I think like what I mentioned early on when we were talking about this is um, like the hockey pieces of this are spot on. You know, they got everything completely right as far as like what happened and the action and things. But there's not a lot of of story being told in this part of the film so like it's just here's the hockey here's what happened um you know there's no there's no like you know what are we caring about the emotions of this character or that character or whatever um and i thought that was an interesting choice because you know like like we mentioned other sports films like you know uh you know remember the titans or something like that that's what these last climactic scenes are all about. That's not to say I didn't get sucked in. I did. I was like watching it, you know, even though I knew exactly what was going to happen, uh, I did get sucked in. But I thought it was an interesting choice, right? Like, you yeah. know, it's it's definitely a different approach. Yeah. Well, I think I'm. I think it made the whole thing feel more real, which sounds weird because it actually did happen. But you know, in in movies like Remember the Titans, it's this very heightened version of uh, of sports. You know, sports where they can take a minute to like say an aside to you know another player or you know have a conversation or whatever. But the fact that none of that is present, it feels like you're watching a real game, and brings on kind of that nervousness to the point that both Eric and myself and I've seen the movie before. I had seen the movie before I watched it for the podcast. We were both feeling nervous. <laughs> Even though we know how it ends. Yeah. I was going to agree with Rachel. I watched this movie so many times. At the same time, on the game, I'm, I am excited. Uh, there's just a couple of notes that they make in the movie really quickly. One is that the cost of the ticket inside the arena was $67.20, which at the time was actually really expensive for a hockey ticket to like an NHL game that didn't even come close to that back then. Um but they said they were going for three times as much outside, which I thought was clever. And a lot of that um, was actually what was really said, by the way. That's, that's, that's important. Um, what's the announcer's name? Ryan, do you know off the top of your head? Al Michaels. Al Michaels? Yeah. He, he, yeah, they actually, yeah, sorry, I'm terrible with announcer people's names. I don't know why it's a thing. Um, he, actually was, he actually did all the voice work in the movie except for the one that, for the announcer, he redid his own lines except for the one reactionary line towards the end, which we'll, of course, get to. Um, they make a really good point that the average age of the U.S. players was 21 at the time, but that the Soviets 
were a much older team because they had been playing for together for about 15 years at this point in time, most of them. Um, and my favorite two little things that I noticed personally were one that the goal buzzers were still manually run and they did that in the movie because nowadays there's no people don't decide when the goal goes in anymore. That's all mechanic. That's all mechanically driven and electronically driven. And uh, the other thing is that they because it was a big thing at the time when we were in high school, kids joked about it was the uh, Russian coach's eyebrows. Yes. <laughs> okay. I, I was in high school at the time. It was really something we legitimately talked about, and they legitimately got them accurate. So, just saying. Also, are we going to talk about Kurt Russell's pants? I because like those that's are a, fantastic. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, Kurt Russell, particularly in this sequence, because there's there is video of him, you know, um, at the match, he got he got his body language, he got the look of him is just perfect. It's just it's it's a really great performance by Russell. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. So yeah, the end of the first period we're at, we're at two two, and the uh, Soviet coach replaced his goaltender. And put in Mishkin, his backup. So this this happened in the game. All the stuff that happens in the in the movie happened in the game. Uh, and like years later, if you read interviews with some of the Russian uh, hockey players who ended up in the NHL, they were asked about like like what why did he pull the goaltender? Because they make the point in the film like the goaltender that had given up the two goals in the first period was considered the best goaltender in the world. Uh, and he pulled him basically because he'd given up the two goals. And the other players were asked about it later, and they were like, basically, uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but one of them, he said, just coach was crazy. That was his only answer. <laughs> they had no idea. But I think it was – the point is that and, – and people will say this to this day, and it shows up in the last period of the game and in the film, is that the coach didn't know what to do, the Soviet coach, because – the Americans eventually score two more goals and go up four to three. And the Soviet team doesn't know what to do in the last 10 minutes of the game. So you guys like Todd and, and Blake, who've actually seen the game and I've, I've seen the, the actual game they, and what they say in the film is true. Like the Soviets are so all over the place in the last 10 minutes of that game, because they've never been in this position in literally in 20 years. Yeah, they just didn't know how to react. Yeah, and and so they they do manage to do that. Um, now the game itself gets its name from Al Michaels uh, counting down the last few seconds, and then says he says, "Do you believe in miracles?" Yes, um, and so Al Michaels. For the movie, remember at the time he was doing Monday Night Football for for ABC, so he was part of the Disney family uh, before he got traded to Universal for Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. Uh, he he actually recreated his commentary for the game, his voice. So they used they used the actual footage, but it's him recreating the commentary up until that line, the last line where he's counting down and he says the "Do you believe in miracles?" line when the when the Americans win. That's the actual line from the from the nineteen eighty broadcast because the filmmakers did not think he would be able to to recreate that uh, in a in a voice studio, which I thought was a good choice. Yeah, it was a great choice. 
Um, and so the, te- the team celebrates, and then Herb goes back in the back to cry, and sort of the film ends with him sort of narrating what happened at the end, which is that, you know, they, they did beat Finland to win the gold medal, uh, and it ends with him looking out over the team uh, as they accept their gold medal, and he says, you know, that was the best part of, of, of the whole uh, experience for him. And then we get to see at the end, like where all the guys actually ended up, and most of them apparently ended up in high finance, is what I saw. <laughs> That's what we know. Yeah. <laughs> Real estate yeah. in finance. Yeah, and a couple of them became coaches, though. Yeah. Right. Yep. And one of them still coaches women to this, the women's hockey team till this to this day, I think. And my guess is none of them ever had to pay for a meal ever again. Probably not. I agree. By the way, also, also they also dedicate the film to Herb Brooks, who died in a car accident just before the movie came out. Yes, good point. Um, let's go with our connections now. Um, I have some connections. I don't know if anyone else does. Um, I found one of the actors that the actor to play Rizzo was um, actually in Thor as Agent Kale. Oh, interesting! I didn't know that. And um, we also have um, a, an addition from a listener, and we have verified this, that um, Kurt Russell tried out for the part of Han Solo. So I guess Kurt Russell is now officially a Star Wars reference. I like it. Saves time. Well, I don't have a Marvel or Star Wars connection, but I wanted to point out that Bill Schneider uh, plays his father in the film, Buzz Schneider. Yes. Note that when they cast him, they didn't know until after they cast him that they were father and son. Oh, oh, that's cool. Yeah. It was, so it wasn't. They didn't cast him because he was the son. They, the director found out after the fact. It's a good coincidence. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to add that 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 arena that they're now in that they win in the rink is called the 1980 rink because. Uh, the, it's the Lake Plaza has been used multiple times, right, for the Olympics, right? It's been used mm-hmm. twice, right? Yes. Uh, once in the 30s and once in 1980. And so that's the 1980 rink, and the arena is now called the Herbrook Arena, if you ever go there. Um, also, the National Hockey Center uh, Arena, which is at the St. Cloud State University in Minnesota, was also named for Brooks just last year, in fact. Oh, interesting. Very yeah. cool. Uh, anything else we want to add? Um, that that we run against, we if people are keeping track, we won again. We won this year against Russia. <laughs> Indeed, that's true. Yeah, that's right. just, just about a week ago. That's right. right. So, oh, also bears mentioning that um, in uh, what was it in two thousand and two? Right, uh, Brooks coached the U.S. team, and in the semifinals on the same day, twenty two years later. The, the U.S. team beat the Russians. Creepy. Yeah. Oh, I had another note, too. Um, they did a screening of the film for the team, um, and apparently there was quite a bit of cheering during the final game. That's cool. Yeah, that is cool. I can imagine them just sitting there like, that's got to be crazy, like reliving a moment that you were, that was such a part of your life, you know, like that's, that's the defining moment for most of these guys. Um, so it's, it's kind of nuts. That's great. Yeah. If anyone wanted to know why Brooks was picked, by the way, he was already an NCAA championship coach. 
several times over again because he played for the Golden Gophers. And before, even before he coached the 1980 Olympic team, his record was 175 wins, 101 losses, and 20 ties, which is a really good record for a hockey coach. Yeah. In the NCAA, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh, let's let's go through and, and uh, give our opinions on the film from a, from a scale of one to five. We'll let our guests go first. Blake, uh, what did you think of Miracle? Oh, I, I'm going to go this without saying it's going to be a five. The diehard hockey fan in me would be pissed at me if I didn't say five. <laughs> but all honesty, I consider this my favorite sports movie, my personal favorite sports movie, just based on its hockey, based on its this story. And I've been obsessed with this story for long as I've been a hockey fan. So for me, it's a five. All right. So we got one five. All right. Rachel, I'm going to let you go next. Okay. I'm going to give this a four. I think it was an incredibly brave type of movie to make because I think that they could have gone for a much more traditional sports movie, but they didn't. And I, I actually like it better because of that. Um, it's decidedly unsentimental. It doesn't have a lot of the stock characters of the typical sports movie. And I understand why um, people that that really like story, story movies um, might not find as much of a connection to it. But for me personally, it's I love it. All right. Cheryl, what about you? I'm going to go down a notch from everybody else. I'm going to go down to a three. And that's because I... Again, that family dynamic was missing for me. And I do appreciate that it, I did like the movie. I I enjoyed it. I would probably, you know, not go... If it was on TV, maybe I would catch it. Not sure um, how I feel about that if I watch it again. Um, but I really... Because I really felt it lacked that dynamic and it, it sacrificed that for everything else. All right. Todd? Um, for me, I'm kind of middle bottom, I guess. Uh, I'm going with a three and a half. Uh, my reasons are, it, well, it's, it's a really thoroughly enjoyable movie to watch from start to finish. Even the painful parts are enjoyable to watch. It's just, you know, it's, it doesn't, it's not like groundbreaking. Nothing's wowing to me. You know, it's just, it's just a really good historical documentary type piece that's spiced up a little bit. You know, because it, it, it's very true. You know, it's not way off base. You know, a lot of these based on a true life event stories are way off base. This one, you know, swings really on the on base side. But it, because of that, I think it it just, you know, OK, like you said, the whole Titanic thing. But it's not like, OK, I haven't seen Titanic. We've discussed that before. Um, yes. But <laughs> it's it's just because of that. I feel like three and a half is where I want to be. So. Yeah, I think I'm I'm right in there with uh, with you, Perlmutter clan there uh, at a three because, uh, you know, to to Rachel's point, I'm I am a story guy, wholeheartedly. I love I love making sure there's a good story there. And this to me felt much more like a documentary than a than a a story film, um, which is not a not to say a bad thing. It's just like I would much rather in the future watch the documentary that was made, the HBO documentary that, that Blake referred to about the, about this team than this. Um, and, and I was actually pretty low on it until that, that final game, 
like the fact that the mo- the movie got me so caught up into something like you guys were saying that was something that you know I already knew what was going to happen. Like I knew every play. I've seen the game two or three times. I've seen the documentary about it. Um, but it, I still got caught up in it. Um, that's that's pretty amazing. So I think they they did a fantastic job of that. It's just you know like we said they chose the the route of making the characters a little more flat the 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 team. Um, which I think is a valid choice. It's just from my personal taste, it wasn't what I would have would have wanted. I would have wanted to to see some more about these characters and and care a little bit more about them. But um, did like you said, Todd thoroughly enjoyed from start to finish. Just uh, not my thing per se. But still a three, which is which is good. Uh, so yeah, I think we're all in the uh, go see it camp for sure, or or go rent it. So we got we got a three, uh, two threes, a three and a half, four and a five. So we're you know averaging out around the four range. Um, good rating for Miracle. So uh, that is our review of Miracle. So if you agree with us, you can go uh, check us out over at DisneyFilmProject.com and leave a comment in the show notes. You can then uh, ch- send us an email, DisneyFilmProject@gmail.com or on Twitter at DizFilmProject. Let us know when the episode comes out, what you think, and of course always on Facebook at Disney Film Project there so uh blake thanks for joining us tonight um thank you for having me on we were uh happy to do it and uh happy to have you listening to the show and now participating so uh we appreciate it uh so uh until next week folks we appreciate you guys listening as always and uh for todd and rachel and cheryl i'm ryan and we will see you soon just a production note folks next week starts muppet month Woohoo! Wow. I predict a lot of fives. <laughs> At least for me. Yep. <laughs> As America and the world watched, a group of remarkable young men gave the nation what it needed most a chance for one night not only to dream, but a chance once again to believe. The legs feed the wolves, boys. The legs feed the wolves. You think you can win on talent alone? Gentlemen, you don't have enough talent to win on talent alone. They just scored 10 goals, Jim. Right now it's everybody's net. I'm Ralph Cox. I'm from wherever's not going to get me hit.